Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to White Goat Radio, a podcast series from the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. I'm Aaron Lansky, the president of the Yiddish Book Center, and I'm here today with Rick Brown, who's a professor at the Massachusetts College of Art and Design in Boston, and together with his wife, Laura, the co-founder of Hans House Studio, which is a Massachusetts-based nonprofit organization that emphasizes learning by building, particularly the reconstruction of historical structures and other objects. I first met Rick some years ago now, I guess, uh, when he began, uh, he was first exploring the architecture of the traditional wooden synagogues of Russia and Poland. Rick, I remember you brought a wonderful scale model to put on display here at the Book Center. Uh, that was the Zabudov model. Yes, right. And right. Uh, built originally in 1637. In Zabludova, Poland, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah. And then, uh, God, it was probably a year or two after that, I remember you came back with uh, these massive logs and an incredibly eager crew and hand-hewed uh, beams, structural beams out of them during and, one of our Sweet Harvest Festivals. Yeah, actually, we were uh, demonstrating uh, the same tools, the same technologies, the same methods that they would have built the synagogues in the 17th and 18th century. Yeah, it looked it, I think. Yeah, and, uh, and now you've taken on a project that's uh, really blown me away, way more ambitious still, and I think it must be sort of a, the culmination of a lifetime's dream that you're actually constructing, if I understand this right, an 85% scale model of a traditional wooden synagogue inside the new Jewish Museum in uh, Warsaw. Poland. So uh, that was just uh, irresistible, and we had to have you. So welcome to the Yiddish Book Center, the White Goat Radio. Well, thank you very much for having us. It's kind of, we've come sort of full circle. <laughs> we started at the, at the beginning, so now we're uh, pretty far along. Well, let's start at the beginning okay. and ask you first of all, so how come wooden synagogues? What about this has intrigued you all this time? Well, the, uh, the project, uh, you know, again, we build his large uh, historic objects as learning projects, and uh, th often our ideas are not things that we generate ourselves. They come to us from different people who participate in our projects. So uh, back in 2002, uh, there was a professor from New York University who mentioned to us that there was an interest in replicating a 17th century wooden synagogue, and did that appeal to us in any way? And, and instantly we thought this this would be a, ma a magnificent project. Hey, had you ever heard of these synagogues? Well, you know, I, well, I'm not Jewish, I'm not Polish, <laughs> and the uh, but the thing is, is and and no, I had not heard about them, and so uh, but he showed us a photograph, and uh, we thought that this this would would probably be a fantastic uh, complex history. Uh, as well as learn how to replicate a, an object. Yeah. Little, little did we know how complicated and how big of a project it would become. Uh, but well, it, welcome to the club, yeah, yeah, Rick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so we feel like a full member, <laughs> just about a full membership now. But, uh, wow, oh, that's yeah. fantastic. So, so let's start out by just talking about what these look like. Now, this is okay. radio, of course, so we yes. can't show pictures. Yeah. But... Uh, I think some people might have a sense of kind of some of these iconic, you know, lines and and in the look of these. But for those who have never seen such a structure before, what does a wooden synagogue look like? Well, this uh, this genre of, of synagogues, they're again they're built in Poland in the 17th and 18th century, uh, and they're they're magnificent. You have to really that that use your imagination. These are magnificent buildings. They're a combination of a, of a log wall. That means a solid log wall stacked. Like a log cabin, uh, like, like a log cabin. Yeah, and uh, and then they have a um, uh, you know a, a hip roof or a tiered roof that uh, looks uh, you know like you might might even imagine it being like a Chinese or an an Asian temple roof the way right. they kind of stack, and uh, and then they have um, uh, you know again it's it's all wood but they have they have a shingled roof and so they're uh, and they're quite large because the you know the, the synagogue is built on a square plan. 
And so, but if I were to identify them architecturally, I would say that these are, you know, like, like a vernacular style, uh, Polish vernacular architecture. So they have a kind of, um, uh, you know, again, it's, 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 in some ways they have a certain humble quality, and in some ways they're very uh, magnificent and, and elaborate. So... Well, you know, when we built this building in 1997, our architect, Alan Moore, was immediately taken with these uh, architectural forms. You know, he, he wanted to have some sense, as he said, he said, we want to have some historical recall. On the other hand, he said, we have to be very careful not to create a Yiddish Disneyland here. But he, but he wanted to have something that would be evocative of traditional Jewish architecture, and particularly of Eastern Europe. And these were certainly the iconic form in an area that was largely you know, in the Jewish world, not particularly architecturally distinctive, but this was the great exception with these, these wooden synagogues, right? Mm, absolutely. And this is, uh, this is one of the things also that was very uh, in, enticing for us to want to pursue this, this period of architecture. Yeah. So let me ask you a really obvious question, but uh, why were they wooden? Well, it's, you know, Poland was a, uh, you know, a forest nation. Right. And, and, the, and the Polish people and the Jewish people, they were, it's so that they had a, a very predominant uh, kind of wooden cultural heritage. And so the, in, in the countryside, you know, this is what you would see, wooden, wooden structures, wooden houses, wooden, wooden churches, wooden synagogues. Right, and still do, of course, and, as and, one travels and through, you right? And you yeah. still, today, you still can see a lot of that, that history. Do any of the wooden synagogues survive? Well, the, uh, of, we, what we say is, is that of this genre of, of uh, synagogues, the answer would be no. There are wood, some wooden synagogues that have survived, and I say this respectfully. Yeah. They, they, they are were of a later period uh, and, and then also not as elaborate as this p- period we're focusing on. Okay. So, uh, but uh, this particular genre is, again, this very uh, you know, elaborate kind of design. It's, uh, they, they, were, they were systematically destroyed. So how many were there in 1939? Well, the, 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 I guess we, we say around 200. Wow. And, uh, and wow. so, the, you know, they, again, this, uh, you know, it was a you know, prolific building period of these, these uh, synagogues. So 200 of these, and every one was, what, burned to the ground or raised or destroyed? Every, every, by 1939, they all had been mostly burned. Yep, so wow, what a what an extraordinary loss and what an imperative for reconstructing this and trying to oh uh, my gosh it's, it. it's just it's really hard to believe just to imagine I mean it's you know it's 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 you can't it's, first of all the uh, we had the horror of the Holocaust you know three million over three million Polish Jews were killed and then right. three million uh, other Jews from from around Europe were killed, so that's we have to first recognize that. But then, uh, just to imagine that uh, that these these uh, magnificent pieces of architecture would also be be destroyed systematically is just uh, unimaginable. So. You know, I've seen many images of these, of course, and, and one only gets the slightest glimpse of interiors. I think probably for no other reason than photographically, it was just difficult to shoot inside a relatively dark space back in those days. But in uh, any images I have seen, of course, are in black and white. Yes. So were, were they black and white on the inside? What do they look like? Well, this is, uh, this is part of the thing that, again, really attracts us to these uh, these. This, this art and architecture. No, you're absolutely right. You know, it, it, in that period in history, um, you know, people lived in a, you know, their color palette was really grays, browns, blacks in the countryside. And when you, you can imagine when they would walk inside the prayer hall, one of these synagogues, where every square inch from the, from the floor to the ceiling and then all this elaborate dome is, is pa- polychromed with a, a, this uh, wide range of just brilliant colors. Must have been a, a magnificent experience for anybody who went inside these synagogues. Where were the colors coming from? Our, our research has been based on uh, on this this question. 
and again, as you said, you know, these things were photographed in uh, black and white. <laughs> right, and right. so one of our first problems in replicating the paintings was trying to find or locate some uh, uh, record of the color. Because again, since the, all the synagogues were destroyed, we were limited. Right. When we first began our research, uh, you know, again, our objective was to do everything exactly how they were built it originally. Right. Uh, use right. the same tools, same materials, same technology. And uh, at that, th what they were doing in, in that period was they were using what's called a, a uh, distemper paint, which is a, a pigment mixed in with a uh, animal hide glue. That's an, uh, you know, sort of the essence oh, of an animal hide. So, so uh, we, we're using a uh, rabbit skin glue, and then you, uh, when you, what you, the way you would prepare the wood is you would put this rabbit skin glue as a sealer. Then you would add a chalk to make it have a uh, kind of a white. A homogeneous surface, and then you add color pigments. Now, when we did our first research, we were just using over-the-counter pigments because we didn't we didn't have that much information at the time. But now, what we're doing is we're using uh, a company. It's, it's actually in Germany that uses similar pigments that they used at that time. So there, we're using things like uh, like minerals, like clay, right. and, and then also things like uh, there's a famous color called woad. It's actually uh, crushed uh, flower uh, li leaves. And uh, we're using uh, another uh, blue that's called bice. It's actually an oxidized mm -hmm. copper. And this is a very important uh, question because, uh, you know, we can't give complete credence to our theory, but we do believe that in these synagogues that they were using very um, uh, special blues and uh, where, where, where they might not have been used in other uh, churches because they were very expensive I see. And, and, and coming from, from you know, different parts of the, of the world. And so, uh, but we're, we're convinced that, the, this, that the, in these synagogues they were using these very uh, exquisite blues, which, which were written about and, and documented sort of uh, visually. And so this is a very important part of our we're doing well, today. I, I love it. Not only is it this kind of forensic, you know, reconstruction, but it's also on a metaphorical level. You're literally putting the color back into our understanding of, of Jewish history, which we seem, you know, I think we think of it all as these old Vishniak photographs from the late 30s, you know, and, you know, this kind of romanticized world uh, that existed wholly in black and white. But of course, it, it wasn't that, right? I mean, it was, a, it was a textured world and a nuanced world in every way. Oh, my gosh. And, and, uh, yeah, and again, this is what we, again, we, f we feel like a that there's there has there's a kind of a predominant attitude that uh, that these uh, the people who lived in these communities were uh, impoverished and of course in, in, don't want to get me wrong in the later uh, 18th 19th centuries there was uh, a, a lot of poverty in in these small towns but these these uh, the people who built these synagogues they were th these were a, a very arrived very culturally uh, experienced. And and these these synagogues were uh, these things were designed by people who had who had a uh, a very advanced uh, idea about art and architecture and so uh, this is this, these things are so special and so uh, important to be to be known about. Do we know were they built by Jewish craftspeople? This is uh, something uh, to this today we we just do not know exactly who built the synagogues. We we know that there were restrictions on Jews uh, in terms of being members of certain building guilds. So it's very possible that they were not the actual builders. But we also knew that the Jews had many trades and many skills, and also they uh, managed the the uh, lumber industry and and uh, timber industry. So sure. so um, but we do know the paintings. The paintings are uh, in the Gavorja synagogue. This particular synagogue that. We're replicating for the uh, Museum of History of Polish Jews in Poland or in Warsaw. 
Uh, the, this painting was signed by two brothers, and we so that we know for a fact that they they were Jewish painters, and so uh, and so again, what we believe is is that uh, these two painters and maybe others like them were painting these elaborate uh, synagogues, and and they their skills may have come from a number of other sort of Jewish art forms. Right, and the same artists may have traveled from At, from, from town to town, from too, town right? to town, exactly. So um, so we, we, wow. we that's wow. one thing that we are confident that, that the Jews actually did the, the painting. Now, of course, Jews had prohibitions against graven images, as did other peoples. So, what did the art look like if it wasn't exactly representational? Well, the uh, there uh, there are there are no depictions of a, you know, of a human being, right? But uh, but there are uh, there are a whole wide range of images, including floral designs and arabesque, and and uh, there is uh, some. Uh, uh, Hebrew text and Hebrew prayer, right. but there's also uh, a, 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 there are animal imagery throughout the and and they are both mythic and real. And sometimes we uh, we we're, we're, we we feel like that they're so animated they have almost human like faces that there may have been an attempt to actually depict local people through these uh, really unique uh, paintings of animals. Oh, I love it. And, love and, and we're speculating. <laughs> like, that's not, that's yeah. not a fact. All right, so let's go to what's going okay. on now. So okay. how, how did you connect with the museum in Warsaw, which, is, which itself is one of the great phenomena of uh, contemporary Jewish renewal? Yes, yeah, so see, this is, again, how these things just sort of happen sometimes. Uh, when we began this project, again, we have we, we were very ambitious. We were very optimistic. You know, we began the idea of hoping that one day we would build a full-scale uh, uh, replica right, of, right. of one of these synagogues. And uh, when we began, the first thing we did, uh, we just felt like, you know, because we were very naive and, and uh, there was so much to be learned, we we built a, a model of the Zabuda synagogue on a quite large scale. It's a wooden model. It's a, you know, it's a um, five feet by five feet by five feet. Right. So this is the one that we had exhibited here we, for we some exhibit time. We exhibit here yes, at, right. at the Yiddish Book right, Center. Right. And um, so... Uh, Immediately, we put that. You know, we took that to to exhibit that. And again, right. it came to the center here, and uh, the idea was to, um, to to have the model travel, and to create uh, exhibitions, and then invite uh, scholars who could speak about the subject more with more authority than we could, and also to try to create a culture of people around the idea of building the synagogues. Okay, so what happened was we um, then we just moved on to to, to the next step of what we would like to research. So we started researching the paintings. Hmm. We, we decided to replicate the painting of the interior of the Gavorja Synagogue right. for a couple of reasons. One, uh, it was the best um, example that had been photographed with the, with the highest quality, and that was uh, represented in the book by Tom Hupka, Resplendent Synagogue. Oh, from uh, Wisconsin. From Wisconsin. Right. And he's been a partner of ours since the, the very beginning. Yep. And so um, uh, originally we thought we would do that Full scale, but in when we began our first class, it was, it was probably halfway through the semester that one of my students said, "You know, Rick, you know, this is not going to be possible. <laughs> we, we've got to be more realistic. Let's do this half scale." Yeah. And so we finally uh, put the paintbrush on on the paper. Um, but uh, so, but it, again, it took us uh, several years, uh, almost uh, six or seven years, to f- to complete the entire uh, ceiling uh, section. And uh, and we did that with students in a number of classes. These, these are undergraduate students. These are uh, mostly undergraduate students from different schools around the country, predominantly from Mass College of Art and Design in Boston. 
Uh, and, what, what a what an experience for them, right? Oh, uh, amazing experience! And 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 again, in the way we do our projects, you know, we uh, we we try to be non-hierarchical. In other words, we bring in people who are scholars like like Tom Hopkin and Dr. Mark, um, Mike, Mark Michael Epstein from Vassar, and uh, but at the same time, students are working side by side with these professionals. And uh, they make an amazing. The students make a make an amazing contribution to the to the history. So uh, you you ha- we would have questions like somebody would raise their hand and say, uh, "Can you, just, you know, help us with understand the the structure of this synagogue?" And then the person next door would raise their hand and say, uh, "Can uh, can you tell me what is the diaspora?" <laughs> so you so it's, the thing is is that they're learning how to build a synagogue, and at the same time they're learning about the social, political, all these economic forces that surrounded these. Objects when they were originally built. Oh, but what a what a pedagogical experience and opportunity! It's, you have this focal point in which to learn an entire culture through uh, this absolutely. specific and object. So, yeah. And so, so over the last uh, ten year period, we've learned so much about this particular history. But yeah. I'm going to come back to your <laughs> question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've come around here in a wide circle. But uh, what happened was is that you know we replicated a, a number of, of aspects of these uh, synagogues and over the last ten years, and in, in a funny way, you know. Uh, you know, uh, this might be an extreme. We, we became kind of the authority on the subject because nobody else was researching this history, and um, and the uh, Barbara Kirshen Black Gimblet, who is you know the uh, uh, director of the, the core design uh, right. team right. for the museum, she yeah, who's a professor at New York University. We met her uh, in a kind of a, not a, it wasn't serendipitous meeting, but we didn't know exactly what was happening, and we met her, and she asked us to describe what we were doing, and we presented our work to her. And and she said, you know, she said, I know exactly what you're doing. And she said, this is really amazing. She said, this is cutting-edge uh, museum interpretation. And she said, I want you two to go to Warsaw and meet our design team because we're building a, a museum to the history of Polish Jews. And she said, you are already doing exactly what the mission of the of the, uh, of the of the museum is. You know, you're looking at the history of of Jewish people, Jewish culture before the Holocaust. Well, you, you, I have to just say, you, you met exactly the right person. Oh, my you know, gosh. Uh, oh. She, she has to be the greatest scholar of Jewish material culture alive today. And, and uh, you, you could not have met the, a better person uh, to have uh, uh, <laughs> I, I, up I, yeah. I can't tell you how much I agree with that. She is yeah. a real can-do person. And uh, she's, a, you know, quite a, a visionary. Yes. And uh, without her, you know, her, her uh, real um, energy and, and vision... Uh, we wouldn't be where we are today, but she's really made it possible for us to be in the, with the museum. So are you building this inside the museum? Well, what we're doing is um, one of the things that she was really attracted to was how we uh, replicate objects at, with, through the Hans House pedagogy. Right. And that is, again, we, we, <coughs> we, we uh, bring together s- some of the best scholars and educators and, and uh, best designers and, uh, and, bez- and builders uh, around the world, and they work shoulder to shoulder with students. And um, and we also bring them together uh, in an in a, a intense workshop. So it's not something that happens over a long period of time. It actually happens in a very uh, condensed period. Uh, for example, we uh, replicated one section of the peeling, ceiling painting in a 10-day workshop at Oberlin College in Ohio. And so... Um, so she, she, they asked us if we would, in fact, reproduce the uh, the synagogue roof structure and the ceiling painting the same way, right. where we bring people from around the world, students and professionals, and work right in Poland. Hmm. So uh, uh, last summer, uh, we had seven travel programs with students from all over the colleges, all over the U.S., from California, the deep south. Of Chicago, all the way to the West Coast, on East Coast, and then and then also uh, 
traditional builders from countries from all over the world. We came together the first six weeks of, of Poland, uh, six, six weeks of the summer, and we were in Sonic, Poland. And uh, at that time, we had four travel programs and about a hundred, oh, a little over a hundred people. And we replicated the entire uh, synagogue roof structure using the same tools, same methods that they did at that time. Which, which, wow. which, which meant we, you know, we were, we, we converted uh, the two over two hundred round logs into measurable timbers using axes, just like they did back then. Do they have to be seasoned before you can work them? Uh, actually, with uh, timber framing, uh, you. Typically, you use uh, wood that's green. So, isn't it sappy? Uh, so it's it's uh, yeah, it's a little bit yeah. So yes, it has sap, and, <laughs> but that's part of the process. You know, it's uh, it's much easier to 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 cut wood that's that's uh, that's green. And so, uh, and again, you know, we had these uh, timber framers, experienced professional timber framers from all over the world, and they walked out in this field and they saw oh, these two hundred logs and never imagined that we could actually. Uh, Wow. convert these logs into timbers using uh, that traditional method because today it's too expensive to do that. What, what, what's the wood? Is it fir? In, in, uh, originally, the wood would have been uh, larch. Uh, that's what they would have used with these uh, synagogues. This was a, uh, a silver, uh, silver spruce. Very, it's, ha- much hard, it's harder than uh, we had expected. And, and and it was huh. a little huh. on the dry side, so it was it was the job was harder. Yeah. But the students they they were amazing troopers. They converted all the logs, and we came in on target. We finished wow. in the six weeks, and the synagogue roofs ready to go in the in the museum. Really, and, and, and just describe to me just I want to I want to you know get a wonderful graphic image of all of this. What what uh, do the tools look like? What do, how are you doing well, this? I mean, you got a log. How, how do how do you make that into a timber for a well, synagogue? Well, basically, you know, uh, the, the in in the toolbox of a medieval carpenter, you know, basically they would have a, a, a several axes, and they'd have some uh, you know calipers and a square, and a, and a chalk line, and that's just about it. And so, you know, they, this really? was this is what the what the craftsmen at that time would use. Now they also would have some crosscut saws, um, and we used some crosscut saws. But uh, th- basically, this is a it's a you know a, a very rigorous physical uh, conversion using axes. And H- how do you square the timbers? It's it's a technique called juggling. You actually stand up on the log. And you um, you you make a series of notches all along the log. You make these notches L- like like V notches, little, little V notches all yep. the way along the log. The depth that you want to have the final cut. So once you put these V notches, then you come back and stand uh, adjacent to the log, and you ch- uh, split the wood out in between the notches. So it's a very uh, you know it's 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 a, it's, a, it's a systematic way of uh, of of trimming the logs so you get a nice long straight. Cur- uh, Nice long straight edge. And is this uh, safe? <laughs> okay, that's a that's a very important question because uh, yeah. Now again, there's a lot of the technologies that happened in earlier times that don't meet contemporary I was standards. Say, this is definitely a pre-OSHA construction. It's right? pre-OSHA, yeah. but now, but also safety is a very important part of what we teach our students. Yeah. And so um, uh, we didn't have any accidents. What we do is we have people who train people properly, and uh, and we watch them very carefully. And, uh, and, and, and so also we, ha- we, we did do something that they didn't do in, in the uh, 17th century. We, we had uh, fiberglass shin pads <laughs> for, <laughs> for, our, for our students but, and, and also required steel toe boots. Yeah, good but idea. But we didn't have any, any injuries, so we were very happy about that. And, uh, wow, wow. And, so, so now what happens? It gets assembled inside the museum? Well, well this, what happened was we, we assembled the roof structure. <laughs> right. Then once it was uh, – we knew all the pieces fit together, then we – 
knock it back down and, and stacked it and stored it for the, for the year. And it's in storage right now. And uh, now what we're doing is we're going back to Poland for five more with five more travel programs, and we're going to finish the painting this next I summer. I see. I see. And so once the painting is completed, then they will all come together in the museum, and so then we will assemble, you know, reassemble the uh, roof structure. Uh, it'll be you have to understand it's going to actually be up on sort of like uh, you know some blocking, right? Right. And then we'll put the the ceiling wooden panels into the roof structure. Wow. Then the whole thing will be uh, raised uh, up, into the ce- in, up into the ceiling. And it actually penetrates uh, through the ceiling between two floors. I so see. it'll be a very dramatic sculptural object oh, it's between, be fantastic. between two and, floors. And there'll be catwalks or some way of getting around and seeing well, it. Well, uh, you actually enter the museum uh, <coughs> you know, on, on, on grade, and you will see the roof structure popping through the floor. And, and it'll have a cutaway view so you can see into the roof structure and see the panels. This is sort of broke, you know, Italian broke uh, ceiling, vaulted ceiling from above. This is something you would never see in real life. I see. And, I but see. then, then you'll go downstairs to where where the main galleries are, and when you enter this particular gallery, you'll be able to walk underneath the uh, the, the roof structure and see the ceiling, and then uh-huh. see the entire ceiling painting. Well, is, is it shingled? It, it'll be partially shingled. So we're so, just. Uh, some kind of wooden shape. Well, now again, you know, this is this is where it's uh, we're replicating uh, the Polish, you know, shingle of that period. They're very uh, unique types of shingling. So, uh, and they'll all be handmade as well. And it's, what are they made out of? Well, they're also made out of uh, you know a local uh, material. Uh, yeah. We'll probably use this a similar material that we use for the uh, for the timber. I see. And so they're all you know they're all hand split by axes and, and hand shaved and made into. I see. Into, and, and, uh, my last construction question, what's the joinery with all of this? How okay, well, no, yeah. the, the joinery is a joinery that's also unique to Eastern Europe, you know, in Poland, that, that region, and, and also uh, related to the tools. Because, uh, for example, uh, you know, in uh, England or, you know, Western Europe, in, yes. in certain parts of Western Europe or in Germany, you might have a, what's called a mortise and tenon. That's like yes. a, a pocket with a piece that sticks in the pocket. Uh, but that requires a different tool. That requires a chisel. And so it's, it's the, uh, the, the, the carpenters in, in Poland at that time were using only an axe. So what they do is they do a, what's called a lap joint. And so all the joints are a lap joint, and then they're held together with a peg. So it's like a, we with, call with a, a, wooden, a wooden peg. And I assume the hardwood. Uh, and it's a, a, we have hardwood peg, and so uh, also all those are all handmade too. So it'll have several hundred wooden pegs, and, uh, and it'll be, and again, be constructed just as it was at the, at the, at the originally. Oh, this is just so thrilling. Yeah. I can't get over it. So, uh, so I know you're trying to document all of this because oh. clearly there is a story <laughs> to be told here, and, and it would be a, you know, a crime not to uh, chronicle, I yes. think, what, what's happening. So where is that right now? We've documented uh, with photographs and film almost every stage of our project. But our hope here is to have a, um, you know, maybe an hour-long film about to tell the whole story, not mm. just the how-to part, but the big picture about the history of the synagogues, and uh, and, and how how they were built, and, you know, and about the culture, and and then also how they were destroyed, and then also the story is how we are recovering this history. Right. Uh, we, last summer we had a cameraman who came with us, uh, and uh, a lone cam- cameraman, but we did. He was there the whole summer. This summer, we're trying to go back with a full professional film crew. That would mean right. sound people and, and, and a director and, and a And camera. they would actually stay with you the whole summer while you're doing this? Well, uh, because, because we'll be there for an uh, extended period of time, the plan is that they will come in 
uh, four times over the summer to I very see. specific uh, and then we events. can kind of see the time lapse photography exactly. as it were. Yeah. And, and then again, then for the full hour film, it require you know other uh, filming uh, outside of the program itself. As with all things in the world, we say uh, in in Kemachin Toyra, that one needs wherewithal to make such things happen. So, how are you funding the filming? Well, um, so what we're doing now is we're—I'm not sure if you're familiar with the uh, the Kickstarter campaign. It's actually a web-based. I uh, just contributed yesterday, oh, so yeah. I, uh, my okay, first time ever on Kickstarter. But tell us what uh, that is. Most Aaron, people don't thank know. Thank you so much yeah. for your uh, yeah. contribution. <laughs> and that's what, how it works. Yeah, every yeah. little piece uh, makes the big project. Yeah. Basically, what we do is we send out you know emails to all our friends and family members, and we also send it out to organizations we are associated with. And, and uh, then that's sent out, and then uh, you're requesting people to uh, pitch in what they can give, and, and hopefully we'll meet our you know $55,000 <laughs> goal. So that's the goal is $55,000. Yeah. Where, where, where do you stand so far? Well, we, we're, we're doing pretty well. We're at over $18,000 yesterday. It's only been about seven or eight days. Uh, so uh, Oh, we're, this is thrilling. So people are rallying today. They this, are. Huh? They are. Good. Well, I'm going to hope all of our listeners are going to rally as well. All you need to do is go to kickstarter.com. So that's easy. Kickstarter, all one word, dot com. And then there'll be a search box. Type in Wooden Synagogue. And from there, I promise it'll be obvious what to do, and it'll be very easy to make that contribution. Yes, basic, basically on Kickstarter, it's, uh, you know, we, we do an update. You know, we, we, what we do is from day to day, we have an um, uh, update about what our, how the project's going, and so it keeps people up to date with what we're, we're, how we're progressing and, and also things that are happening with the project, and so they can get, become more informed about what we're actually doing and hopefully be, be inspired to want to, you know, contribute and give and make us happen. Well, I love the 17th century construction techniques and a 21st century wiki fundraising. Not, <laughs> yeah. not bad at all. Uh, yeah. It's a nice congruity in all yeah. of that that I, that I like very much. Is it too late for people to volunteer if they actually want to go work on this? No, actually, we, we're, you know, we, we still have some spaces for uh, people to go this summer. We uh, basically are, have these uh, f- uh, five travel programs, and we're just about full. Uh, we've recruited all across the country. If somebody wanted to participate, they would just go to our website, handshousestudio.org. And uh, they can they actually can see a, a short video of the project from last summer, and there's a, they can download a application and they can give us a call and we'll answer any questions. We'd love to have them sign up. All right, so if somebody who's uh, quite talented is looking for the experience of a lifetime this summer, they know where to yeah. go to handshousestudio.org. Org. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Great. Great. And last but not least, so what's the uh, timetable for all of this? When's it going to be done? When do we raise high the roof beams, Carpenter, and, you know, like, get, get this all open? Well, up, right yeah. now the, the museum is, uh, you know, it's, it's well underway, uh, and it's scheduled to be turned over to the, what they call the Museum of the History of Polish Jews, and then at that point, then the uh, exhibition starts to be installed. Right. And the plan is, that right at this moment, is that it would open uh, February 2013. So, so February 2013, the whole museum opens well, up. That's, that's what the museum And your piece of it will be ready at the same time. And, our, and we'll be ready at the same time. So our plan is to be finished in August and then install all of our part in the, in the early fall, and then the rest of the exhibition will go in place, and then hopefully we'll all be there uh, on February 2013. Well, as we say, Halavai, uh, it should only be so, and with your determination, <laughs> I don't have any doubt that you're going to make it. Well, this has been completely thrilling to speak with you today, and we'll have to have you come back once you're a little further along a year from now, and, uh, and we'd love to feature photographs and images and maybe some of the film itself on our, our website as well, well and let people see what it looks like. Well, thank you, Aaron, so much, and also thank you for being uh, supporting us early on in the project. I feel like we, you know, you've helped us get where we are today. So. Well, thanks again. 
again, Rick. Uh, a reminder to contribute to the filming of the Wooden Synagogue Project. Uh, go to kickstarter.com and just search for Wooden Synagogue, and you'll figure out how to make your contribution from there. It's a great cause. You've been listening to White Goat Radio, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. For additional interviews and conversations, please visit our website, www.yiddishbookcenter.org backslash audio. Our producer is Emma Morgenstern. I'm Aaron Lansky. Zaymir Stark und Gesund. Be strong, be well, and tune in again soon. Mm-hmm.